If it's 6 p.m. on a Thursday, that means it's time for Lehigh Valley Discourse. And we begin with Perspectives by John Pierce. Our engineer this evening is Neil Heaver, who is Director of Operations here at WDIY. Welcome to all. My guest this evening is uh, a man who is passionate about history. His name is Joseph Guerrera, and he is the executive director of the Lehigh Valley Heritage Museum. Joe, it's great to have you back on the air. This, I think this is the third time. Well, I want to say it's great to be with you. You know, I'm a big fan of NPR, and I, I often tell the audience in the museum and we are the Lehigh County Historical Society. We have the Lehigh Valley Heritage Museum at 432 West Walnut Street in Allentown. So that's Walnut and 4th Streets, right. basically. Exactly. Yeah, one, one of the gatherings where you have many people showing up there, what's the capacity of that room? Well, it, it depends, but it's, it's well over 100. Yes, and so here the room was full of people. We got a full house all the time. You got on a roll, as you are wont to do, and uh, saw me out there and mentioned NPR and said, let's give a hand for NPR. Oh, yeah. Well, I <laughs> love, I have to tell you, I'm a big believer in NPR. Uh, whenever I'm driving, I have NPR on. I love the work you do here at the station. I really do. And uh, I remember listening to one commentator, not from your NPR station, but in famous movie star saying, if it wasn't for NPR, you know, there wouldn't be any real news out there. <laughs> and that's how I feel. And, and how many times have you heard me compare our audience in the museum? I talk about NPR and PBS and then our platform. True. We do the same thing. We just have different platforms. Right. So, Joe, before we get into our topic this evening, which, is, which has to do with Black History Month, uh, let's uh, give the audience an idea of some programs you have coming up at the museum. Yes, and we like programs. We love to have people come and visit us. So we have a program on uh, Saturday, February 25th at 1 p.m., and that's Voices of the Underground Railroad. Oh. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that the civil rights movement maybe started with Rosa Parks, but actually it's been going on for hundreds of years. And, of course, the Underground Railroad played a part in that. It's it's a fascinating topic, and we will be discussing it Saturday, February 25th at 1 p.m. That's this Saturday. Right. And then we have another program coming up on railroad photography. You know, this, this area here, the Lehigh Valley, was rich with railroads, and they are a fascinating topic. They have a lot of romantic lore to them. So we find when we do a, a railroad program, it's usually well attended. So people can check our website. So we have one on Saturday, March 4th at 1 p.m. Olive Terame of Bethlehem, he will present one uh, with uh, a series of photographs from the 1960s and 70s that we'll be discussing the railroad photography of historian David Beasley. So these are just some of the things we do. Our, our objective is to have fun, have people in. We always provide free coffee to our visitors and refreshments and cookies and cake. You know that. Uh, that's the part you like the best. Well, yes. announcing to the folks about the, the cake. Yes. Please take some. We don't want to have it left over here. Well, because if it's left so. over, I'm going to have to eat it, John. You know that. <laughs> what a penalty. Yeah, so there's lots of fun to be had over at the uh, Lehigh Valley Heritage Museum. 
And Joe Guerrera is uh, executive director over there. It's a fun place to be. Usually your programs, Joe, are on Saturdays at 1 p.m. That's right. When And, you know, we were the last three years with the pandemic has been uh, somewhat challenging. You know, just when we thought the pandemic was over a year or so ago, it came back. But we we see it now falling behind in the rearview mirror. So we're optimistic. And good. you've been over there and see that we're able to get a good a good crowd and Absolutely. have a lot of fun. Yes, indeed. We want people to enjoy themselves when they come. Right. So, um, Joe, our topic today is the uh, history and importance of Black History Month. Well, that's one of the yes. items that you want to cover. Yes. So let's get into it. Well, uh, okay. I want to say, first of all, black history is extremely important. And some people might say, uh, well, why is there a Black History Month? And I would start out that Black History Month was created by a scholar by the name of Carter Woodson, Carter G. Woodson. And he has an amazing background his whole life. And just imagine this. The guy was born in Virginia in 1875. His mother and father were slaves. He went on, they were enslaved human beings, his mother and father. And he went on to earn a Ph.D. at Harvard. Think wow. about that. Wow. You hear, you know, that is to me amazing. So what's interesting about Carter Woodson, and the reason I want to just say a few things about him is he's really the founder of what was Black History Week that became Black History Month. And so this guy didn't even start high school until he was 20 years old. Imagine that. Didn't even start high school. He, and he's 20 years old. He had tremendous amount of energy and intellect to go with it, Carter Woodson. And he's worthwhile looking up uh, his home, I believe, is a National Historic Landmark. It's administered by the National Park Service in Virginia. So that's how important this man is. You don't hear a lot about him. No. And no, you no. really should because just imagine starting high school at 20 years old. A lot of people would say that you're even too old to go. He finishes high school in two years. Then he goes on to earn a BA and an MA at uh, University of Chicago. He ultimately earned a PhD in history from Harvard. And what's interesting is during the, during the years he's in school, he's also working as a coal miner. He's doing anything he can, taking side jobs to better himself. So by the time 1926 rolls around, the thing that he learned in Harvard while he's going to school there, one of his professors said something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing this, that, well, the black people, they don't have any history which is completely untrue. It's a, it's a false assessment. And Carter Woodson knew that. And this really disappointed him. I would have to say it upset him. In fact, it inspired him to show people there's plenty of black history out there. It was actually a white historian. And, you know, historians, although they may be professionally trained, they're human beings too. And they can make mistakes, and they did. And then, of course, we're all egocentric. So they had failed to tell the story of black America. Now, that's important that you know your story. And you're, Be- t- you're talking back in the 1920s. Yes, also. in the 1920s. Yes. We're talking so. back in the, in the era of Jim Crow and the problems that were going on then. But the point that I would make is how can we expect a young man to grow up and have pride and ambition if he doesn't understand the success that comes in his own background? And now, so one of the things that Carter Woodson wanted to underscore, think about the, think about the participation in the history 
of African Americans in the American Revolution. They fought alongside George Washington to get freedom for, for the American people. And of course, the American Civil War, it's hard to believe, and this is one of the most, I would say, one of the greatest disappointments that we face. When we tell the average visitor to the museum that during the end of the American Civil War, after the Emancipation Proclamation, there were more than 180,000, perhaps 200,000, black soldiers wearing the federal uniform for the Union to save the United States in a country where they weren't even citizens. You just think about that. Yes. That's a real sacrifice. And that's something that people should know and people should be aware of. How many people would stand up and say, I will help you despite all you've done against me? And then go back to slavery after the war is over. Yes. No one really knew exactly how everything was going to turn out. Right. And then one of the things that bothered Carter Woodson was it wasn't just the military involvement and helping to build the country. In fact, there were a lot of black enslaved people that helped to build the White House. There's literature on that. But, for example, black inventors. You don't hear people talking about black inventors. And I would say one of the reasons I am so fascinated by black history, because it's in many aspects of history, John, it's been mined and mined and mined. That's not to say that there isn't a lot in all aspects of history. But I like something that's really fresh and has a robust appeal to it and that maybe hasn't been told properly, has been told inadequately. And that's where black history is to me. I mean, for example, when Carter Woodson was talking about this, he knew no one was talking about the success, the number of black people that have claimed patents on inventions they've made. You know, so, you know, like 1821, Thomas Jennings uh, gets a patent for dry cleaning. And then the railroad telegraph patent, a lot of work done by a man by the name of Granville Woods. Paul Downing, you know, the, old, the conventional mailbox that we see that used to be out on the streets and things like that. Right. He, he patented that, a black guy. Oh. But so you don't hear this. And I think one of the most disappointing ones, and sometimes you hear this with the public, was a fellow by the name of Charles R. Drew, who was a black man who did work, and he did work, he patented certain procedures with blood transfusions, blood storage. And you know what's interesting is uh, he had quit the American Red Cross because they actually segregated blood up until 1950. Oh. You talk about, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Jim Crow laws that most people really don't even, that they maybe they've heard the term, but they don't mm. completely understand it. But mm. just imagine the segregation of blood, that they took black people's blood and did one thing with it, and then they took white people's blood and did something else with that, and they didn't mix the two together. And that's, that's a disgrace. That's all part of that Jim Crow era. Yeah, and it's all part of flawed, faulty thinking. And so this is the importance of Carter Woodson. And so what we try to do, because what we find is there's a, a large audience for black history. It's not just black people, it's white people. And white people can't get enough of it because they really haven't heard as much of it that's out there. And I, in particular, am inspired by a lot of black leaders. And I mean, I talk about this all the time. They're heroes to me. In fact, one of my two greatest heroes, one of them is a black man I met for 30 minutes one time. 
<laughs> That's right. And he said to me, he said to me, you can do what you want to do and be what you want to be in this world if you believe in yourself. And that might sound like a simple thing, but I was getting out of the army a long time ago you, where they have an out processing. And this guy was talking about veterans benefits. And he said, what are you going to do when you leave here? Well, what really struck me was he said, you know, when he wanted to go to college, everyone in his house said, oh, no, you, you can't do that. You can't go to college. You know, we didn't have the money. We didn't have, you didn't have the grades. And he inspired me to be all that I could be. That's just one of my great black heroes. Never met the man again, just that one time for 30 minutes. And that black guy did more for me than anyone else I ever met. Wow. This, and the second one that really inspires me every day of the week is Martin Luther King. So, and we're going to maybe talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to talk about some other people. We're going to talk a little bit about Shirley Chisholm. And we're going to talk a little bit about Rosa Parks. And we should talk about the Jim Crow laws because I don't think a lot of people really understand what it was like to live in that environment. Absolutely, especially here in the North. Yes. So my guest this evening on Perspectives is Joe Guerrera, who is executive director of the Lehigh Valley Heritage Museum. It's time for us to take a break. Dear listeners, stay with us, and we'll be back in a moment. Thank you to the members of WDIY for making all the programming you hear possible. Becoming a WDIY member is the best way to support your listening and to ensure WDIY will be here for the next person in our community to discover. Make your membership gift today at 610-694-8100, extension 4, or WDIY.org. We couldn't be here without you. Celtic Fair, a celebration of Celtic music and culture, from its roots in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Galatia, and Brittany, to its branches in Australia, Cape Breton, Canada, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, and the Lehigh Valley. Bringing you music, interviews, and a weekly culture calendar every Thursday from 7 to 9 on WDIY Allentown listener-supported community public radio. And we're back. I'm John Pierce, your host on Perspectives. Our engineer is Neil Heaver, and my guest is Joe Guerrera. And if you've listened to the first part of the program, you can sense that Joe has a passion for history. In fact, more passion for history than I think most folks have for anything. And you show it, too, when you talk. And we're going to get into now a little bit about the Jim Crow era. Yes. And, you know, the, the Jim Crow era is really something. A lot of people will talk to me and they'll say, well, hey, after the Civil War, the enslaved people were freed. It was over. What is there to worry about? That is a school child. That's what I thought. Yeah. You know. Well, that's dead wrong. And uh, so we get into what the Jim Crow laws are. Just imagine this. Imagine uh, there being, well, I think we should probably say, first of all, what was Jim Crow? So that's kind of a stereotype. It's a derogatory term. And uh, so it comes from a minstrel show. And there was a minstrel show. Uh, this is what most people believe. I don't want to say universally everyone says this is exactly it. Someone may call me and say they have a different opinion. But it's safe to say that Jim Crow uh, was from a minstrel show from, let's say, the 1830s. As I said, it's a derogatory term. And so it develops this stereotype where they, you know, this man puts on a black face and does this show and 
it's it's really it's bad. And I don't think a lot of people realize how damaging it is. But the problem is there were laws that were or rules that were developed in the South that we call Jim Crow laws. So after the Civil War is over, you know, we've all played in a contest or been involved in something where maybe the loser has a sore way about it and doesn't want to accept their loss. And so the, the South or the Confederacy after the war would not accept the loss. So they they instituted these laws, state and local laws enforcing racial segregation. But it's not as easy as people think because we're going to talk a little bit about Rosa Parks. But imagine that uh, in Montgomery, Alabama in 1900, they come up with an idea that they're going to segregate buses. And so that if you want to get on a bus, you're, the bus pulls up. If you were a black person, you had to get on the bus, pay your fare, get off the bus and go to the back of the bus and get in a special door, go in the back door, get a seat. And that seat was OK and, unless the white section filled up. And then you had to get up from that seat, surrender your seat for a white person. Now, you talk about oh, humiliation. Yes, I did not know that. And you can imagine how that would make Martin Luther King had that happen to him. He was he everyone that. Uh, and so it wasn't just buses, of course, restaurants. Imagine going to a restaurant and seeing a sign that said whites here and blacks there. And then understanding the problem is they were separate, but they were not equal. And there had been a Supreme Court decision in 1896 called Plessy versus Ferguson, where the Supreme Court said separate is okay, separate and equal would be okay, but they were never equal. Toilets were segregated. They had toilets for black people, toilets for white people, water fountains, barber shops, city parks. And let's not forget about Woodrow Wilson segregating the military and the things that he did. Unfortunately, history has a way of being the great equalizer, and it essentially has seriously damaged Woodrow Wilson's reputation, even amusement parks. Martin Luther King talked about seeing an advertisement for an amusement park and his children wanted to go, but he couldn't take them because blacks were not allowed there. Motels and hotels. Imagine having to drive and say, oh, honey, I'm sorry. We want to, you know, we all know what it's like to pull up to a hotel or a motel at night. Oh, they have a room available and finding a sign that says no blacks allowed. These are the Jim Crow laws. And that's just some of them, not counting the ones that were invoked for voter registration, asking someone, well, OK, well, you want to vote? Did your grandfather vote? No, he did not. Well, then you can't vote. Or asking a question that goes something like this. Well, we uh, have a simple question here to ask you on the Constitution. Well, who knows that? Well, what is, what is Section 2, Paragraph 7, or anything oh, like oh, that? Oh. How many of us could answer a question like that? Yeah. So yeah. this is what's happening. And so it's a very difficult, and I don't think people realize how demoralizing, how upsetting Martin Luther King used to talk about when he was out, well, when he grew up as a child. And then he realized when he was going to go to school that his friends were going to go to one school and he was going to go to another school, a school for whites and a school for blacks. But the problem was, it was even though it was separate, it was not equal. So the, the black people got this, the short end of the stick. That's the truth of the matter. And that's what I think people must realize. And so when we are looking at, let's say, Rosa Parks, for example, let's talk a little bit about her. And she, a lot of people would say she started the modern civil rights movement. Some people would disagree with that. Uh, and they would, in my mind, because the civil rights movement's always been going on. And people will ask me all the time, well, is it over now? Have we arrived? And the answer to that is, no, we have not. 
but we're getting better all the time. It is two steps forward and one step backward, and you have to look at it over a long period of time. There's always, there's, will always work to be done. So let's just talk a little bit about Rosa Parks and what happens. Rosa Parks is one of the really important people of the civil rights movement. And the reason she's so important, and by the way, she's not just an important person, she's a hero. She's a true American hero. Because imagine, imagine standing up at a time when everyone's thinking just the opposite way. So Rosa Parks, they had had this problem in Montgomery, Alabama with the buses. And there had been another person, uh, I believe her name was Claudette Calvin, who had been involved in a situation where she would not surrender her seat. But anyway, in December of 1955, Rosa Parks finished work about six o'clock at night. And she gets on a bus, which, okay, she, and by the way, the buses in Montgomery, 75% of the people that were riding those buses were black people. Yeah, of course. And so if that means if they went on strike, guess what? The, you didn't have anybody. If, if, they, if they would picket the buses, it wouldn't, any, wouldn't be enough revenue to make them work. So she gets on a bus. And what's interesting, the bus driver, so he pulls up. It turns out this had been a bus driver she'd had a problem with once before, where she got on the bus and uh, she paid her fare. And remember, a black person paid their fare, had to get off the bus and enter in the back door and then get a seat in the back. So one time she, uh, she was getting ready to just walk to the back. And he said, no, uh, uh, get off, get off the bus, go in the back door. And so she said, OK, she got off the bus and he drove off and left her there. Oh, well, this used to happen. You could do anything with total impunity. That's really what it was like back then. And so anyway, so in 1955, what happens is it's a different situation. It's the same bus driver. And she, so she gets on the bus. And uh, what happens is the area for the white people fills up. And at that point, the black people had to get up and surrender their seats for white people. Now just imagine if you're there with your child or anyone, how that would make you feel. Not only was it demoralizing, it was disgusting, and it was disgraceful as we look at it now. Back then, it was business as usual. So they, the bus driver tells her to get up, and she wouldn't get up. She wouldn't surrender her seat. He said, well, I'm going to call the police. And so she was just about ready to get up, she said. And one of the things she had written in her memoirs was she was going to get up, and then she remembered Emmett Till. Now, the, your guests may say, well, who's Emmett Till? Well, Emmett Till is a name worth remembering. Everybody should Google Emmett Till and find out what's out there about him. And I'll tell you what, this guy is my hero, and I'll tell you why. He gave his life to prove to show how brutal Jim Crow could be. So Emmett Till's living in Chicago, nice man, young man, 14 years old, goes down to Mississippi, where the Jim Crow laws were really terrible. And it was a disgusting environment. And so, you know, 14-year-old kids whistle at women, say things. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> any, any young guy may have a flirtatious word or something. He goes into a store. He says something flirtatious to a woman working in there. She did not like it. Based on the Jim Crow laws and segregation and the way black Americans were being treated at the time, he was brutally murdered. Emmett Till was brutally murdered in August of 1955. And what's even worse about it, three days later, they find his corpse. You couldn't even tell it was him. 
The only way they could tell it was him, they didn't have DNA. They found there was a ring on his finger, and they realized, well, this is Emmett Till. And they had an open casket, and his mother said, I want them to see what they've done to my son. All he did was say a flirtatious remark. It was really seriously minor. Well, anyway, in September, uh, the, the guys that were involved, there was a woman who made the complaint, her husband and and brother, they were put on trial. Guess what? They got off. That's the way it was. And so the point I would make is Rosa Parks had been just a few days before the Montgomery bus problem. She had been to a meeting about how they were going to handle this and what could possibly be done about it. And so the death of Emmett Till inspired her to stand her ground. I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to surrender that seat. I'm sick of surrendering my seat, and rightfully so. And to me, that makes her a hero. So what happened was, obviously, uh, the black community decided to litigate this. Uh, On December 5th, Rosa Parks goes to court, and um, she gets fined. Uh, She gets fined $10 and $4 court costs, okay? (laughs) So they decided to litigate it. 381 days later, they won. And so the point of it is, is that even though they they wouldn't have had to be litigators or lawyers to realize this should be unconstitutional, because in 1954, the Supreme Court had come up with Brown versus Board of Education, a ruling that a lot of people know about, talking about the school system, segregation in the schools didn't work there. And so segregation was something they had to work at all the time. And so I take my hat off to Rosa Parks. I do consider Rosa Parks to be an American hero. That's how I look at at these black crusaders. And so one person I want to talk about real quick, one of my really great heroes is Shirley Chisholm. You know, Shirley Chisholm is a name a lot of people may have heard, but when you really understand her story, and by the way, you can go, there's a lot of good stuff on YouTube if you want to hear Shirley Chisholm give a speech. So Shirley Chisholm is a trailblazer. That makes her a hero because she stepped in when a lot of other people, let's say they might not have done that. She was a speaker. She was a communicator. She was extremely charismatic. I remember that. Yes. Yes. Oh, she was really... I, I really admire Shirley Chisholm. And at a time when very few women in general went to college, in 1952, she got a master's degree from Columbia University. She was involved in children, child welfare. Uh, in 1964, she gets a, a position in the New York State Assembly. In 1968, she runs for Congress. Uh, she's the first black person in Congress a black woman. She takes charge. She was really a dynamo, and she was on committees. In 1972, she ran for president. She she was trying to get the Democratic nomination. But remember, look at these people as trailblazers. And when you go back and read their history and see what they have to say, they inspire us. They stood up at a time when it was difficult. They made the world better, not just for black people, but for all people. And because they're not just talking about black history. And by the way, the, all, the only thing they were looking for was what they were legally entitled to. Nothing more than that. And that's what I think about all the time. On that note, Joe, our time is up, believe it or not. Uh, as you can tell, dear listeners, uh, Joe has a lot more to say on these subjects. He always does. 
And Joe, thank you so much for coming back to WDIY and for being a faithful listener to NPR. Well, you know, I, am, I love NPR, and I hope all your listeners support and upgrade their membership. <laughs> I'm John Pierce. Thank you so much for listening to Perspectives this evening. Until we meet again, remember to be gentle with your neighbor. <laughs>